Hello, hello, Matt. Hello, Joe. Wow. Wow. What a what a festive time of year it is. I know. I went into Barnes and Noble and the day after Halloween they were already playing Christmas music. So I'll I'll my my Halloween story that is Christmas related is I I was invited to a costume party and but I was I had like just gotten back to El Salvador like two days before this costume party. That's not enough okay. time to throw together a costume, especially because I was accompanying this group that was visiting from Honduras. And so I did like I was working all day long, no time. And so the night of the party, October 28th, I I ran to or I, I drove over to Dollar City and and I was like, for sure, they'll have something little devil horns, some sort of like random thing that I can just put on and be like, ah, low effort costume. Ha ha ha. I went like, good enough. Good enough. They didn't have jack shit. They had like some Halloween-y decorations, but Halloween's really not that big of a deal in El Salvador. You know what was there? Lining the halls of Dollar City was Christmas shit. And so I went as as a Christmas elf. There's no buffer in El Salvador between, like, summer and Christmas? There's no Thanksgiving, and there's no Halloween. Oh, no. So, oh my goodness. It was... So, I went as a Christmas elf to my my costume party. It was great. Did you get compliments? Oh, people loved it. It was the best. <laughs> okay, great. Well, so it all worked out in the end. All worked Praise out in the be. end. Praise be. Praise be. Praise be, as we say, during this Yuletide season. <laughs> I don't know about that, though, Joey. I'm sorry, Matt. I really have to go. I just, I'll, I'll be right back. I'll be right back in like Wait, two minutes. Wait, do you minutes, have to go use okay? the bathroom? Because I also I have, have to use, use the restroom. Okay, I I'm need to take a go, shit like nobody's business. I gotta take a piss like nobody's business. Okay, great. Be back in two. All right, I'm back. Back at you. Welcome, traveler. Dungeons and Dialectics, the synthesis of tabletop role-playing games, philosophy, and theology. Joe. All right, Matt, I'm back. Thank God. Matt, it was it was really bad. Uh, I, do we want to, this could be a bonus episode. <laughs> this, yeah, five minutes of silence. Joe, you know, I heard a rumor from you when you told me to say this, that... Uh, that uh, sa- that Christmas what is a just segue. That Christmas, yeah. Th- thank you. I'm good at this. I know. Well, but we've been doing this for a while. I'm pretty good. That Christmas. <laughs> I heard that Christmas is just a reskin pagan holiday called Saturnalia. 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 What kind of what, what a kind of pagan bullshit is this? Yeah, I'm celebrating Saturnalia this year, not Christmas. Never again. I see. Yeah. So now that we finished our, our quick banter for <laughs> our Patreon subscribers, let's get back to this question of, of Saturnalia versus Christmas. Yeah. What's the difference here? Because if all of the structural features are basically equivalent, like if Saturnalia is all of the stuff that I care about with Christmas, maybe like you'd have to cut away a few of the things like the imagery type stuff, right? But if it's it's basically the same thing, then like what is Christmas adding, Joe? Well, well, well. First, I want to explore the because you're really you're really jumping. Oh, you're putting the the cart before the horse here because you're you're presupposing that that is in fact true. Oh yeah, you're right. And I am presupposing about that. To, about to rock your world. Oh, is this like some um, Christian? Like we're gonna do? <laughs> it's like this is becoming an apologetics podcast. Like actually, it's two, it's two different things. Totally different. <laughs> <laughs> we've um we've hooked you in with um some like light Christian critique, and now we're getting to the apologetics <laughs> for sure. Um. No, so this this is the deal is no one's actually really 100% sure what came first, whether it was Christmas or the birthday of Sol Invictus, the sun, or Saturnalia, or even Yule in the which is more in like the, northern the Scandinavian, European. northern European Germanic peoples. And so Really, I'll be quite honest. Like, it's interesting to to learn about, and hopefully, will be interesting for the next like twenty minutes. But indeed, <laughs> but I don't, I don't really care what came first because they're to me they're all sort of evolving in the same 
uh, same con, like a little bit different context, but then they they intersperse and and share different things and learn from one another and change. And that's like very normal. This is how like culture works. But there are there are some people who like who really really care about this. So one, there are a couple of reasons that Christmas is the place that it is, and what what's like kind of memeable and fun for like more like edgy people on the internet is is to be like oh well christmas is actually based on saturnalia and <sighs> and like see christmas is all fake and yeah it's like most of the stuff is fake who cares yeah right <laughs> that's not like a an a newer i don't know it's like oh wait whatever but some people will suggest that christmas actually comes from and this is called the calculation hypothesis that christmas comes not because they saw that there was already this big Roman holiday being celebrated, but because they they calculated the days. And you might be surprised that before Christmas was even that big of a deal, Ooh. that people were already celebrating, I could be wrong about this, uh, is that people were already celebrating the Feast of the Annunciation, which is when Jesus was conceived. What? People were celebrating this? Oh, yeah, right. But it, wait, it's a virgin it birth. Huge. Never mind. There was Never there was a point. Yeah, I know, I know. I thought it was going to be really um, edgy, like the celebration <laughs> of the holy nut or something. But. The holy nut, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, in the Middle Ages, pneuma, or people thought that semen was a diluted form of pneuma, or uh, or um, like holy spirit. There, so. I, I don't know that much about this, but there's actually I, I can't go into this now. But there's like a really complicated history of this. But but we'll we'll just leave that for our listeners. What. It, yeah, history of what? Of the relationship between like semen and, oh, and spirit. Yeah, and spirit and yeah. like subtle forms of matter. There's like some real there's some weird yeah. shit going on here. Oh, it's uh, before people knew what semen was. Whew, they were like this is this shit is special, but we don't understand. It's it's like the it's like this it's like uh the the most the best thing. Yeah, it's the best thing. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. Seaman's yeah. just the best. <laughs> it's the best. You heard it here first. So, no. No sex was involved. Uh, you can listen to our episodes on the virgin birth uh, yes. and virginity from a couple years back. We've if you already, want to learn more about that. We've already we've done covered that to the death. holy nut before. The holy nut. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, <laughs> sorry. And so, the they celebrate the... Um, the Annunciation, the conception of Jesus on March 25th, right? And then, of course, March 25th, nine months from then, more or less, you get to December 25th, Yay. around there. Now, there are, like, ways that this was calculated, um, and it was based off of calculating first Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist, because in Luke... In Luke chapter one, it talks about when was Yom Kippur and when was the birth of J John the Baptist in relation to Yom Kippur. And based on Jesus being conceived in six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist, when would he have been born? And they like figure out that it's around like March 25th. This happens to be like around the, the spring equinox, which is also a common day for for festivals and celebrations throughout human history. Right? Yeah, it's so, very suspicious. It is a little bit suspicious. It's um, very suspicious. <laughs> very suspicious. <laughs> uh, but it, you know, it makes sense because then March 25th is around when you might celebrate e Easter and that Easter is, you know, uh, has also appropriated a lot of, a lot of... Um, Pay, like fertility cult type yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, fertility cult exactly um celebrations of fertility eating of spring, eggs of are you life. kidding me exactly jesus would never jesus wouldn't eat eggs that's gross no. he eats bread fish and wine that's all jesus <laughs> that's all he ate well that's all yeah. we can we can safely we can safely that's say true. we should true. we shouldn't go beyond the, the the holy word yeah amen amen brother praise <laughs> me and so in so they they calculate this out now this also there's a reason that Jesus's death and resurrection is then marked around this date is because in Jewish tradition that it was believed that great men, great people, yep. uh, especially martyrs were born or conceived 
and died on the same day. Oh, and that's so, interesting. I didn't know that. You calculate when now, and they arrive. There's they have a, other calculations to get to Easter. Is it just a coincidence that they end up around his um, his his conception? Is it because this belief is actually true and people who are famous die on the day that they were conceived? I think or we born? can we can rule that out. Is it was <laughs> an intentional like? Gentle fudging of the numbers to make it work. Yeah. I don't know enough about all the calculations that went into this. Hear it. You've uh, heard it here <laughs> first, listeners. Joey and I will die on the day that we are conceived. <laughs> yes. Amen. Amen. <laughs> that for me is probably going to be around like August. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So then they, they just push it back nine months and get to, and then you get Christmas. Now, that's that's the calculation hy- hypothesis. It's like possible, although people are not like, oh, 100% this happened. It's just really hard to tell. Then, of course, you get, in general, it was picked because it was the solstice. This is the solstice hypothesis. St. Augustine gives this sermon in the 4th century where he's like, oh, this is a fitting day to celebrate Christ's nativity. Hence it is that he was born on the day which is the shortest in our earthly reckoning, and from which subsequent days begin to increase in length. He therefore, who bent low and lifted us up, chose the shortest day, yet the one whence light begins to increase. And so Jesus is linked to the growing light. There's also a lot of language around, you know, Jesus is the sun, like the soul sun, not the sun, like child. Um, But like, is the sun of righteousness that comes from Malachi and some other solar symbolism and light there's a passage in i think it's john which says oh and there is a light shining in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it and we read it every year at christmas time at church no not me couldn't be me i wasn't you were not included in that week i'm always reading christmas carol (laughs) when you're doing this and so and so they say it's like the solstice state now we get to your question about saturnalia yeah are these so these are these the same thing or not so the (laughs) The answer is, at some point, people in Rome celebrated Saturnalia, which was a holiday around that same time. It was dedicated to Saturn, perhaps obviously. And it was like a... Saturn was a god of the harvest, of cultivation, excuse me, um, and other things. And it was... They had like this huge banquet. They gave gifts. There was partying and kind of like a carnival atmosphere. There was an overturning of social norms. So you could have gambling. Um, the masters provided table service for their slaves uh, or for the people that they enslaved. And there was like more liberty. And then you would have your... You're like King of Fools or Saturnalia King. If you've seen Hunchback of Notre Dame, they have a whole scene and song about um, the the Festival of Fools. This persisted well throughout the Middle Ages, I I believe. The idea in the Middle Ages, they loved this shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that they would pick like some loser, um, which is why Quasimodo gets chosen in in the aforementioned. Quasimodo is a loser. I will. I'm calling it here. He's a total loser. Yeah. And He's a basically an incel. Well, no, because he doesn't get... He's a, a well, vol cell. The villain is the incel. Here's the, here's the deal. Here's <laughs> the deal. It's true. The vol- Well, the villain's sort of different because it's like auto-imposed, but also... It's like... Anyway. Yeah, well, we, should, we could do an episode on this. Sometime. If you watch the movie, the Disney movie, it's... Um, he, he seems like so much chiller, right? Like he's, he's like, oh yeah, I get it. You're not going to fall for me. You're going to fall for the, the handsome noble knights guy. But in the book, he's, he's like head over heels for Esmeralda. And then the last, if you don't mind me spoiling this, like ancient book, (laughs) several hundred years old book, the, uh, they, they find his, his core, his, um, his skeleton is like wrapped around Esmeralda's. Whoa. That's that's beautiful. It is. <laughs> no, it's creepy as fuck because she <laughs> dies, and then he crawls into her tomb and hugs her body until he dies. You know what? That's not acceptable, but it's also very romantic. So who's to say? Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> dude. This book is this book is wild. There's a guy who fucks a goat. Not like on the page, but it's alluded to. Oh, okay, what's his name? Like Pierre Gringois or something. Pierre Goatfucker. 
<laughs> yeah, go fuck out. Um, I, haven't, but he was, I haven't read the book. I, I perhaps, perhaps predictably, he was eliminated from the the Disney movie. The Disney movie, although yeah, you know what? the goat is still there. Ah, they left the goat that Pierre Goat Fucker fucks. Yes, but but they cut him out. Maybe it's like a deleted scene. I know. I doubt it. I doubt it. He appears in the uh, in the black and white adaptation. Okay, well, at least someone's being faithful to the. But he's a he's a poet, so it's like a it's like a shot at poets yeah. and like theater people. That Victor Hugo's like, oh, there's this poet, and he has these like shitty plays that he puts on, and then he meets a goat and fucks wow. it. Wow, I guess I'm glad great. Disney cut it out of the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would have been an interesting choice. So in in Saturnalia. You get all sorts of like everything turns topsy turvy. Oh, that's the song Tox- Topsy Turvy Day. Okay. And you have the you have the Saturnaliusus Principus, the ruler of Saturnalia. So this is celebrated in Rome, but it's not the only holiday that happens around this time. One of the big ones that people will allude to or suggest is like a Christian thing, or sorry, is uh, an inspiration for Christmas is Dies Natalis Solus Invicti, which is Sol Invictus's birthday. Wow, he had a birthday? He had a birthday, apparently. Now. Now, 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 now. It is unclear whether this was decided before or after Christmas. I see. Was was decided. Right. And this is the thing, is I was thinking about this earlier today, that it's really hard to figure out what came first when things are within less than a hundred years of each other. 50 years of each other, 10 years of each other, right? So even though in our world right now, like in the present day, we can look at, oh, well, what happened first? And how did this relate to this? And how did this relate to that? Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, the invasion of of Ukraine, right? This, like, we know that this happened before Gaza bombed Israel, and then Israel started bombing Gaza. Right. Right. But in like 2000 years, people might learn about these these events as the start of World War Three. Right. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> right, yeah. But so then they'd be like, oh, well, maybe, yeah. you know, like if the data got corrupted and we didn't have access to yeah. the data properly, you might think, oh, well, maybe the Israel Palestine mm-hmm. thing yep. inc- like incited a conflict in Ukraine and Russia because we don't exactly. actually know the proper order. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting. Exactly. And, you know, especially with, like, with, um, excuse me, with with Israel-Palestine, there's been so much conflict in that region up to this point that at what point do you put the the start date, you know? For us, we might, we might even struggle to say, oh, well, when did this really explode? And we would probably say October the 7th. But in 2000 years, unless you look at the records, you might have some vague idea of which came first or what was what or what meant. Well, I mean, look at like most people don't really appreciate the order, the proper ordering of events of like World War II. That yeah. was like, you know, exactly less than 100 years ago. Yeah. And so going back 2000 years when the records are even less accessible, like today, I suspect that people could relatively easily go back and find substantial historical record of what's going on now and could piece it back together. That's optimistic. Easily. What if uh, in 2000 years, uh, everything is awful. That's true. It is, it is distinctly possible. <laughs> um, much like, much like today, but the, but so looking back, it's really hard for us to tell, Oh, well, if these all started within like even a hundred years of each other, it's kind of difficult to, to suss out exactly which started when, because when does something start? Does something start when yeah, people right. in the countryside start celebrating it? When the emperor names it? Um, I mean, there really aren't principles. You know. there's, there's, it seems like there isn't really a principled way of saying, like, this is the beginning of the thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, right. Like, yeah. what, like if, if, if the event of the emperor's proclamation, let's say if it was that, like, hypothetically, mm-hmm. Why is it that event rather than, you know, his eating, like having a bad day that morning that caused him to do the thing the way he did, right? Or, or, and so on and so forth. So, yeah. you know, historians recognize that, you know, there's a lot of yeah. kind of asterisks, asterisks next to what we say is mm-hmm. the beginning of certain things. Yeah. 
And so, so for me, really, this like hypothesis of like other religious festivals is is really the same as the solstice hypothesis that it has nothing to do with the calculations of the dates and everything to do with the fact that the winter solstice is a very normal time to celebrate things because as saint augustine points out this is when the days start getting longer and so it makes sense you know you're both marking the seasons just as like a matter of course because it's interesting because it kind of like anchors you to a cycle but also because it's important economically it's important um for timekeeping in general it's important for your crops and your harvest and and food so of course this would be an important day and very naturally people would come to celebrate it in different ways right right yeah the, the i mean we as a matter of empirical fact people are going to mark the various solstices and, and other events that govern and dictate our lives it's just a question of what's going to fill out yeah. The, those, those holidays, those festivals. Exactly. And then you have Yule. Yule. Which, Yule. Yule. Which, which is often the, um, excuse me, in like, you know, Germanic countries, Scandinavian, Viking, yeah. Norse buzzwords that they, my they grandmother had a, this time. My grandmother had a thing that said God Yule on it. God Yule? God Yule. That's great. Is your grandma like she was Norwegian? Swedish? She was Norwegian. She was Norwegian. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Yeah. And so you know that's significant. That's quite far away. And so we have attestations of this into like in the fifth, sixth centuries common era, which is after, uh, you know, the earliest mentionings of Christmas are, if I remember correctly, are in like the second century. So that is pretty early. Yeah. And, but. You know, it's it's unclear whether they started doing Yule in response to this. Probably not. Um, but we're most likely celebrating this for, for quite some time. And from Yule, you get other traditions that that we probably associate more with, like, this kind of chillier, wintry climate. You have the Yule log that you leave burning. And you have um, this, uh, you have the celebration of the, or not celebration, but like this link with the wild hunt where Odin or Woden goes on this hunt with spectral hounds and Valkyries hunting down like, uh, like deer or shit, which is in some traditions is a herald of like bad news or something. I don't, I don't know that much about this. (laughs) <laughs> thanks for sharing yeah i i don't know shit about this but yeah keep going joe <laughs> and so go off king um and so when these when this region becomes christianized in you know the like i don't know probably like ninth 10th century uh common era that's when there starts to be this like crossover right. that yule comes to mean christmassy you know we still call it Yuletide, and we don't think that we're being, like, pagan. Whereas if you were, like, you wouldn't say the Saturnalian um, festival of Christmas. You might say the Yuletide festival of Christmas. Well, you wouldn't say it like that, because it sounds, like, weird, like I'm forcing it. But you know what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. So our friend Nina is is Jewish, and she never celebrated Christmas growing up. Like, so she, you know, some, some Jews will. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some Jews will do Christmas if they're, you know whatever uh, they want yeah. to, but she didn't ever do it. Yeah. And as more of like a U.S. American cultural sort of right. thing. Right. It's like the same way that it's done in Japan. You know what I mean? Like Christmas is now so secularized, yeah. or at least relative to what it had once been, that it, you can basically celebrate it without any mm-hmm. substantive theological commitments, as we discussed earlier on. Well, I think, I think, uh, and, you know, all the people who are too cheap to shell out for the Patreon cut are going to are going to regret oh, it because I'm going to make a big, I'm going to make a big reference to it Yeah, that the, uh, as you were, as we were talking about, <laughs> I don't think it's that, that people aren't having a certain kind of like theological or faithful or religious right, attachment right, right, right. to Christmas. I think that they're having a theological, spiritual, faithful, religious attachment to Christmas as as like these 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 new U.S. American gods, for example, or whatever. Yeah, like, I, I would be comfortable. You know, culture you find yourself in. I would be comfortable saying that my experience of Christmas is religious, just so long as you recognize that that mm-hmm. doesn't 
require that it be a religious experience of recognizably Abrahamic figures. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I think that I think that some people experience it that way. Some people I think find it just easier because it's the milieu in which they find themselves. Yeah. But oh, but I, I think it is religious. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. But what so, so I was gonna say though was was <clears throat> so Nina when she started dating our friend Mac You know they met at my house. That's so romantic, Joey. It is it is I basic and I sat and them you next and to I each met other. at your house too. Oh, did we? I thought <laughs> I, we no, met we at didn't. school. I don't know. I just thought it would sound. Or Matt's house? Max's house? Yeah, I just thought it would sound cool like if we met at your house in the same way. Okay, I'll, I'll just cut that part. Yeah. We had a we had a much more. So on the day that Mac and Nina met, we you and I had a far more romantic experience yes. than they could ever have hoped oh, to have. Well, we were, you know, you and I were, were already deeply in love That's at, right. at that point. For, at, yeah, at a yeah. glance. But yeah. <laughs> but, so, but so what Nina told yeah. me was. um. She just was like, you know, my whole life I grew up like thinking of this as like a religious holiday for – religious in the traditional like Abrahamic, you know, like Christian sense, right? Mm-hmm. As this religious holiday that was like a Christian holiday. And then as soon as I started doing stuff like that was Christmas oriented because she had been dating Max. So, they were yeah. going to start doing Christmas stuff. It's like it was so obviously not reducible to the Christian mm-hmm. dimension that it was like she thought yeah. it was – humorous that she ever like thought it was just that way or something. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. And you know, there's a, have you heard of this movie that talks about this like very question Kirk Cameron saving Christmas? Oh my God. Wait, no, I've, I'm not sure if I've heard of that particular movie, but is this one of those guys who makes these like weird Christian movies? Yes. Hell, yes. hundred percent. Oh yeah. This can go in this the book is- club too. <laughs> this will yeah this is our, our our cinema club we're gonna have a we're gonna have a, a media club it has a zero percent on rotten tomatoes and it's widely regarded as one of the worst movies of all time so he didn't save christmas is what you're saying <laughs> he did not save christmas <laughs> but it's a fascinating movie and i've only seen the trailer and like read the read the wikipedia article kirk cameron who's some like evangelical Dude. chill some evangelical hack yeah yeah, yeah. um and the story it's the weirdest story he shows up at a christmas party and his brother-in-law christian which is a little on the nose <laughs> is not celebrating christmas and he says hey cameron brother-in-law i feel like this holiday is too commercialized and consumerist and i think that there are some pagan elements here yeah and cameron sits him down and says no <laughs> this is all exactly what god intended Hell yeah. Well, no, so this is a very yes. interesting thing because I, I think that there is one strain of like American Protestant evangelical Christianity mm-hmm. and maybe it's no longer purely American, but whatever, where it's like in the a certain kind of Christian would have said um, there are pagan elements here. It's been corrupted. Let's reject this. But there's like a certain kind yes. of like ethno nationalist, like mm-hmm. American Christian fundamentalist, uh, blah 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 type who's like, no, um, everything we've been doing that I associate with like America in a good in a positive way, right? So it's like, oh, Chris- mm-hmm. Christmas, America, good, right? Yes, that must be th- what Christianity really mm-hmm. is, and like yep. that's that's like what God meant, as you put it, or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's what God intended. So it's like. If Chris, if Christmas in any sense can diverge from that, then it's a problem. So we have to like have some apologetics that like explains literally yep. everything we do so that it fits mm-hmm. with a fundamentalist picture of Christianity. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And like I'm very comfortable with the critique of contemporary Christmas that yeah. – um, well, this isn't necessarily a creek, but what you and I talked about for 20 minutes at the top of the episode for Patreon subscribers is – about these other religious wait is this in the final cut i, I don't I, remember yeah if you get this good for you who could say who could say who edits the shit the um, i don't know it depends that the <laughs> the other that oh if if christmas is an attachment to you know other mythological yeah, yeah, yeah. or spiritual religious figures that are not related to like the abrahamic traditions that's fine i am like totally happy with that and I think it's like a fascinating way that, you know, religiosity um, becomes manifest in our world. Right. I also think that there's a really valid critique oh, of yeah. the ways that Christmas nowadays has... Like coarse has taken, commercialization type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Has become consumerist, has, has become too consumerist, too commercialized. And that this also, you know, takes on a sort of 
uh, a religious significance and in certain ways a a religious and faith based like based in neoliberalism yeah. based in in capitalism that you know our our attachment to this economic system is not just that oh this is an economic system that we use because we like it or it benefits us but no this is the way that the world should work this is um either what god has ordained or this is this is our god like there's an invisible hand of the market that will fix all of our problems and we definitely i mean we can't really get too much into this right now but there's definitely a weird way in which Things that you might think of as commercialized needn't be thought of in that way. Mm -hmm. Things that are, in fact, hyper-commercialized aren't thought of in that way. And the entanglement of commercialization and what Mm -hmm. is actually drawing sentiments out of people are, like, weirdly entangled and really difficult to parse ways. And I think holidays make this... Holidays are probably the site at which this is most obvious. Like, is Santa Claus a commercial Mm -hmm. figure? Is he yeah. a religious figure in some new religious sense, right? Is he, you know, mm-hmm. there's the Christian saint, St. Nicholas. Um, yeah. All of those are intermingled together in our experience of Christmas. And the question is, you know, how can we tease them apart? How are they not able to be divorced from each other? That's like a really complicated question. Exactly. Exactly. It's super complicated. Um, and what uh, what James Cameron's, or sorry, not James Cameron. <laughs> Avatar <Kirk's>. 2! <laughs> <laughs> Avatar three, yeah, Avatar three, the miracle. war on Christmas. <laughs> war on Christmas. <laughs> what Kirk Cameron says to this this question about like commercialization, he says Jesus came to Earth in a material body, so we celebrate Christmas with material things. Uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> what a there is no finer articulation of contemporary like, U.S. American Christianity. I like how these motherfuckers, like, he didn't even try to hire, like, some kind of hack job theologian that would yeah. give him a good, like, argument to use. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, this sounds good. Material body, yeah, material yeah, exactly. possessions. <laughs> and, the you know, the, the incarnation, um, you know, God becoming flesh, yep. is, is a really important part of Christian theology in general, and is huge in in liberation theology in Latin America, because the idea, it's not as like crass as what Kirk Cameron's putting forth, but the idea is Jesus became human. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus like cared for people. He cared for the poor. He cared for the captive. He cared for the stranger that they have food, clothing, etc. that you should sell all you have and give to the poor. It is obvious that Jesus cares about, physical form or something our bodies our health our economic uh, um, situation the the gospels don't paint the picture of of jesus as like a ascetic uh like quasi-platonist philosopher who wants to say no it doesn't matter if you're sick or none of this matters Mm -hmm. focus on this sort of like weird realm that you can access through whatever means exactly there are there are ascetic elements to to the jesus story Perhaps more so with John the Baptist is like the real ascetic in the in the story. That's but, interesting, but we probably shouldn't. Yeah, but logos <laughs> like that's that's where Jesus is the most divine in like a mm-hmm. core sense of like focusing exactly. on his divinities in the Gospel of John, right? Exactly. But then you get this like this twisted version of Christianity that is, oh, God doesn't care about people's health or poverty <laughs> he cares about or whatever. Money. <laughs> God cares about money. Fuck yeah! <laughs> Finally, <laughs> it's great. Um, <laughs> Imagine. So, I mean, this is how American evangelicals think, though. It's like this is what this is like. Yeah, they care about making money. It's it's the yeah. this is the weird. I don't understand this at all. It's so fucking weird. It's so fat. But this is the reason that it did so poorly. Is like even a lot of the Christians are like, "What the fuck are you talking about, Kirk Cameron?" God, God cares about our money. He has a bit where he says that the um, the Nutcracker dolls can be placed around the nativity to represent Herod's soldiers killing um killing babies yeah he has, you could do that and then and then he goes into <laughs> the story of saint nicholas is not like some father christmas uh sort of like yule scandinavian figure but is based in saint nicholas a badass defender of the faith who beats up arius at the council of nicaea oh no for heresy is this the, who, like, this is the arian heresy heresy Arius? Yes, yes, yes. Oh. The Arian heresy, oh, no. Arius. For those who are not familiar, Arius's heresy 
the big thing that he says, which is why Santa Claus like beats, beats the beat shit out ass. of him, is is that uh, Arius says, "Well, I don't think that um, I don't think that the word, the logos, Jesus, the Son, was I." Uh, um, what was it? Is, is like co-eternal with the uh, with the Dude, father creator figure that was begotten of, <laughs> and uh, and did not like sp- and sprung into existence at a separate this, at a separate this point stuff in time. Blows my mind every time I think about like yeah. people fighting over this because I guarantee you yeah. that ninety nine percent of living Christians today would have no idea what to make about any of these fucking things. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? It's like all of these heresies that people are getting murdered over. It's probably like most Christians either have no opinions on them or maybe they have a, I would, I would guess that most Christians have heretical opinions without yeah. realizing it. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. For sure. Like because I, I think if you like- ask many Catholics about like the transubstantiation, for example, I think a lot of them will probably just in virtue of living in America, you know, like I'm yeah. talking about Americans. Probably yeah. just have something like a Protestant line or something like yeah, it's like a commemoration yeah. of of it. Mm-hmm. Just because that's just like yeah. you know, because they they don't they're not obsessed over the minutia of theology. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and this is the thing is like you know like I get it and I am familiar with a lot of the distinctions between like different denominations because I've worked with like yeah. a lot of them, but I don't like I'm not particularly hung up on whether at what point in time one thing happened or like this is the thing is like i could get that you might disagree but you beat like you beat the living shit out of someone because you're like how fucking dare you Sir kirk cameron wanted to conserve santa claus not as a jolly figure of of, of joy but as the guy who no. beat up Arius. <laughs> nicholas was bad but in a good way he was bad with two d's that's what he said with two d's oh yeah bad to oh, bone yeah. yeah like uh bothered about dungeons and dragons Oh, that's a good callback. Oh, what a tie-in. Um, I just a clarification for the listeners: this actually did not happen. Oh, Nicholas didn't beat up Arius, really. Nicholas, Saint Nicholas was He's Turkish, right? In Isn't all he? likelihood, not at the Council of Nicaea at all. He appears on like one list and doesn't appear on the other lists well, of attendees. Isn't this, so there's like questions. Isn't this most stories about saints? Is they're kind of like not true. <laughs> a lot of the a lot of early saints are. There's a there's it's a like a little more. puffery going on here. There's a little bit of puffery. Um, <laughs> whereas like some of the new after the the Catholic Church really started cracking down, I'm like, okay, we can't just make everybody a saint. We have to like have a process yeah. and figure it out. You only needed to have a couple of like miracles to become a saint in the old days, but now you yeah. really need some hardcore miracles. Yeah. Well, also miracles happen all the time back in the old days. That's why everything's gone to shit. Yeah. You think it's because God stopped causing all these miracles to happen through saints? I think that's 100% the we reason. We need some miracles. That's what I think. Yeah. But have yeah. miracles really gone away? Because there's an insane clown posse song where they talk about magnets and like they're like, you know, it's like a miracle. Miracles are everywhere, every day. That's what I like. Is that the insane clown posse song? It's called Miracles. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So listen to <laughs> that. Look the show yeah, notes. look into the show notes. It's insane clown posse led me to see life in a whole new way. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> So the um the only other thing that I I, I do want to touch on as like the history of of Christmas because it it makes the rounds in the memes yeah uh, pretty often is the Christmas tree yeah the Christmas tree my beloved Christmas tree your beloved Christmas tree oh Tannenbaum oh Tannenbaum I buy a real Christmas tree every year I don't I don't have the you personally or your family well, me and my family but were oh, were okay. I were I were my, if my family were all to die tonight. You would still buy. I would it. still buy one every year for sure, and it would be a real. And it would be tree. real every time. Yeah. All right, great, great, great. Just so you so, know. So, so the Christmas tree, it'll it'll often go around, and people like to point out on the interwebs. I don't know. Maybe I just have like, you know, I'm in these spaces where people share this, but it's kind of like an own that they quote Jeremiah ten. Oh, one to five. Is this one of the? Yeah. Okay. Okay. A tree is cut from the forest and worked with the axe by the hands of craftsmen. Men adorn it with silver and gold. And this is take it. And then Jeremiah goes on to like vilify idol worship oh, and talk wait. about how terrible making so idols in is. Jeremiah, this is this practice is treated as idolatrous. A bad thing. Got it. Okay. And so people will, will say, oh, well, Jeremiah 10, one, it says like this Don't is do not it. okay. So <laughs> this is it. clearly not Christian and is clearly a um like an evil thing. Now obviously 
the Christmas tree, this has nothing to do None with, of us are with like the nativity story. Bail by cutting down a Christmas tree. <laughs> well, the the Christmas tree is actually with Asherah. Oh. Which we'll get to. Oh. Um now Kirk Cameron will say <laughs> that God created trees, so this is biblical. God created trees so we can have Christmas trees. <laughs> so we can have Christmas trees. And it represents a cross on which Jesus was crucified. What? I hang a little man off of my Christmas tree every year. Yeah, to represent the crucifixion. That's right. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> also a pickle for some reason. Uh, the pickle is, uh, you have to find the pickle and then it's good luck. Yeah, we do that. We do that too. I don't know why. Yeah. That's a, I think that's a Germanic tradition. It may be that it's just fun. So it was adopted. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I have any family ties that would make sense of that. I think we do it just because it's fun. I think it's a, I think of it as a, as a German or like that area tradition. To our listeners, try hanging a pickle on a tree and finding it. Yeah. It's great fun. Yeah. yeah. It's it's great fun. It's it's a thing. (laughs) And so, so the, the tree that, or the the it's called a an Asherah pole uh, that Jeremiah is referring to mm-hmm. is a symbol of the goddess Asherah. Right. She's a Canaanite goddess and is the consort of El. Yeah, wait, isn't this is, El is like the main god? Isn't this God's wife? This is God's ex-wife. Oh, they got divorced. Oh no! <laughs> this is the this is this is my my theory about this. So Asher, so El is the principal deity of the Canaanite religion and he has a consort named Asherah. Her like the way that they worship and like uh you know give cult to Asherah is they erect these poles, they carve out faces in them and they adorn it with baubles, gold, silver and such. So Je- that's what Jeremiah is talking about in this in this particular uh piece. And so that's the Asherah pole. Now Ash- now we may have talked about this already, but El in the Canaanite pantheon is often associated with uh, Yahweh or the God in the Jewish Christian right, in the Abrahamic right. faiths. And we know this for a variety of reasons. One, because some of the stories look the same. Two, because the word for God in Genesis 1, Elohim, comes from El. Elohim. Israel. Isra. El is one who wrestles Isra with El, God. Oh, it's Jacob, right? Micha, El. Any name that ends in El, Rafa, El. All of these. All of these are references to... El. To God. Yeah. El. And so, there's... And you find ancient pottery in the region that says... That has phrases like Yahweh and his Asherah. And so, you you look at all this, and scholars are pretty sure that at one point, Yahweh and Asherah were understood to be consorts. They were understood to be like, it's like Zeus and husband Hera and wife. or something. Exactly. Or El and Asherah, Zeus, Hera, whoever. Um, and at some point, the authors or like the, the people, whether it was... Um, or like the people who were who were making the Bible, whether at this point they were Hebrews or Israelites or Jews, because the titles change depending on like the like configuration of wherever they're living in and culture and whatever. But the point is that they at some point started moving towards a much more monotheistic religion. Mm-hmm. And so they inserted someone who wrote this down, probably during the Babylonian exile put in all this extra stuff about Asherah. There's a famous story of Elijah confronting the priests of Baal. Scholars are pretty sure that in one of these tellings where it says, like, Elijah confronted the, like, 400 some odd priests, or I should look this up, I have it. This is from 1 Kings 18, 17 to 20 is the, like, quick snapshot. And Elijah says, summon the people from Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. We're going to have a God off (laughs) and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. The part about the prophets of Asherah, scholars are pretty sure is a later interpolation. So somebody came in, saw this and said, oh, well, you know who else we we hate? Asherah. Uh And so they add this in so that people who are still at this point probably like 
worshiping Ashera or like have some understanding or like positive affiliation with her because as you mentioned as we mentioned earlier with like the the like specific theolo- theological details a lot of people don't get like all the all the different ideas coming down from from the top right and so some people don't think of Ashera as bad or don't think of themselves even necessarily as monotheist so is the idea that at a certain point uh, a priestly priestly class who wanted to vilify Ashera started inserting her as like an antagonistic force in some of these pre-existing stories. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, it's unclear exactly like why they're doing this probably because, you know, in it's unclear exactly why Judaism moved towards like a purified monotheism that can't, doesn't have room even for you. Cause you could have, you Mm -hmm. could say, I mean, look in If there's any kind of weird structural parallel between, like, the sovereign of a nation and a Mm -hmm. god, you know, I mean, people think this way. Like, we don't think of it as being a problem that there's a monarchy, i.e. there's one king, Mm -hmm. and yet the king has a queen consort or whatever. So, like, it's not obvious why straight away you say, Mm -hmm. I'm a monotheist, and that means there can't be a divine being who's the wife of of the god. Like, that doesn't seem actually intuitively Mm -hmm. problematic. And... And I think that's probably what actually happens in in history. And you can even, if you read the Bible carefully and you sort of know where the, and if you look at your footnotes of your Bible, if you have like a scholarly something Bible like the New Revised Standard Bible yeah. or another scholarly edition, it will often say like early manuscripts don't have this or this is added later probably. You can figure out where these these editions are. And so you can look through the Bible Oh, and if you know which books are the older ones. And you can see that there's... Monotheism doesn't come out of nowhere. Right. Like, the early Bible is borderline polytheistic, where there are many different divine beings. There are points at which God, like, uh, becomes, like, the head of a court, right, of divine beings. Well, is this why God... And then there are parts where, oh, the others are... There are other gods associated with other nations and other peoples, but those gods are weak. And then it becomes those gods don't exist. And then it, you know, so you have this, this spectrum from polytheism where there are many gods to monolatry or henotheism Uh where you only worship one God Uh and then monotheism where you only believe in one God. And then you have this weird Christian thing where they say, well, we believe in one God, but it's three in one. So we'll have the best of both worlds. <laughs> I still don't understand it, but yeah, that's fine. <laughs> to the Trinity. No one does. No one does. Yeah. No one did. That's why it's a mystery. Great. So that's where the uh, Asherah poles come from. And that's why God hates. So her. the idea was that the Asherah poles are included in this book as some sort of weird slime against like whoever was yeah. still worshiping Asherah within the cultural context. Exactly. And because people probably, like you said, didn't see an issue with having one principal deity with a consort. Yeah. Even if you even if you think that there is like if you're you might not be a Hinotheist, mm-hmm. you might think, oh no, there really is only one God period of the universe. Yeah. You would still think, yeah, and he's got a wife. <laughs> like why not? Yeah, and he has needs. And he has need he has his needs, let me and tell he you. He has needs. Yeah. And that's why that's why probably you see that, oh, Elijah goes up against the priests of Baal, but not also the priests of Asherah, because you get to this period where, oh, yeah, fuck all the gods that are not our god. And then later they have to go back and add Asherah into that when they decide that she's also not cool. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So that is the idea then Mm -hmm. that the transition from a henotheistic scheme to a monotheistic scheme didn't automatically then involve like a rejection of Ashra? Um, I would say the transition from like polytheism to henotheism probably didn't right, okay. didn't dispose of Asherah with the other gods because she had to be added back in later. Whereas other gods like Baal or Beelzebub, uh, which is just like a, a shitty like epithet for, for Baal, that those are they got they got axed first. Okay, good to know. Yeah. Ashera got Ashera got some leeway because she was she was the consort. That's right. Yeah, and I mean we all have our needs. We have all got our needs, and so what? And so Matt, the real question here is because we haven't really talked about the game at all. Yeah, what are we doing today? 
But what? <laughs> this 20 minute episode that we've been recording for an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. 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 Well, there's, there's Patreon it's content. Just, and it's just hard because you and I have such charisma. It's like, we can't keep, we can't stop. We do. We do. I, I can't stop. I just got to keep going. <laughs> is, but the question is, what does this tell us about uh, including religious holidays in, oh. in the games, uh, in tabletop RPGs and D&D? Well, so I said something to you that you seem to vibe with to a certain degree, and I think this will depend on the system you're using and mm-hmm. your own aims for the game. But I personally really like it, and this maybe this is more of a low fantasy thing, I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. I like it when the the mythology and you know, mythology's most present in holidays, right? Of a setting mm-hmm. is contested over, vague, ambiguous, all these things. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's that's a taste of real life because as we're seeing yeah. with these stories, um, it's not just the it's not like, oh, there was Saturnalia and then there was Christianity. I mean, maybe that's how mm-hmm. it was, but really there's this hyper complex network of yeah. all these different social practices emerging out of various populations, some of which were in close contact with each other, mm-hmm. and eventually that fruits in you know like holidays that are integrate all these elements like modern christmas yeah um it's not clear why you shouldn't write your own religions of your setting like this unless you want to make it like really in your face that the gods really exist and they're going to be directly relevant to your campaign mm-hmm. but if you're not going to do that it adds uh, i think a really like a lot of narrative depth to make it not Add some contradictions to your to your lore. Like, why not? Because yeah. that's how real life is. Real the real world is deeply contradictory. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. I and there's another thing that you you mentioned that I do just want to pause on because I think it was a good point that the Thank mythology you. becomes. It was such a good point. Yes. I'm just like I want to mine every every sentence you just spoke for the next hour. Yeah, and a half. Can go for another couple hours. <laughs> the, let's go. Let's go. I can last. So the. <laughs> I doubt that mythology. The mythology is more salient during the holidays is a really good point. So like when we're using holidays in the holidays, festivals in the game, it's an opportunity to make the, the lore of the world more, um, more salient and updated for the present. So you, if you want to be introducing lore and doing lore dumps to your, your players, I think I think the worst thing you can do is write out like a whole like 10 page sheet about all the history of your your world. Oh, let me write down the, like once I've read this sheet, I'll understand everything. Right. Yeah. But if you have a festival in which the people of the town explain to your players, um, or they recite these, like these passages, or you see these symbols and they can point to, Oh, well this is commemorating x history xyz story or this thing that happened that explains in a diegetic way the the history the lore of the campaign and so i know i had one adventure this is not christmas themed but we had one adventure where the players stumbled across this town that was some guy had like summoned some demons that were possessing some scarecrows yeah and attacking people and and the And the fest, and it was like right at the beginning of this harvest festival. And they were like, oh, well, we celebrate this harvest festival because we prayed to our God and our God told us you need to erect these like seven scarecrows around your crops and the plague will be, and then you need to do all these rituals for me and then the plague will be abolished. And so eventually this holiday evolves and changes and is like hundreds of years old. The way that they commemorate this is they set up these, uh, these scarecrows and then they set the scarecrows on fire in celebration of, oh, now we don't need this anymore because the crops have been healed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so it gives an opportunity to give this lore dump to the the characters who come in and they're like, oh, what is, what's with all the decorations? What's with all the scarecrows? Well met, Traveler. With- <laughs> Here's the story of the seven scarecrows. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the story of the seven scarecrows. Now, the um, I really enjoy this this adventure because spoiler alert there's the way that it the reason the whole reason i wanted scarecrows up there in the first place was because the person who has summoned this demon that is ravaging the town is also kidnapping people and has hidden some people in scarecrow outfits and so when the players first the characters first meet scarecrows 
they attack them because the scarecrows are animated by this demon. But then the next time they meet the scarecrows, they fight the scarecrows and they rec- they realize there's blood on their on their blades and they're like, oh shit. And they unmask the scarecrows and it's all the missing people oh, what? that they have seen what, what? that they've been like, asked to find. And so when it gets to like the kind of big like scary moment is they get to the harvest festival and they light the scarecrows on oh, fire. No. And the players who have put things two and two together realize, oh, those are not like scarecrows. Those are people that are about to be killed. And so far, nobody has stopped them from lighting the people on fire. Wow. So, that's pretty cool, though. I like that. I've run it a couple times. I like that. So, so that's a... It's a great way to do, make the lore and mythos uh, more relevant to your campaign. Mm-hmm. And what you said, Matt, that like people might have differing understandings of where this even comes from or it is a totally legitimate answer in your campaign if somebody asks like a random person about the lore or the history you can just say oh well we've always done it that way yeah, yeah, like yeah. just give an opinion a, remember they're, they're people re- exactly you can just give like contra- you want to be a little bit careful giving out really misleading information because <laughs> people talk, sometimes struggle they talk to the village dumbass and he gives them radically yeah. misleading information <laughs> <laughs> People sometimes struggle to separate the omnipotent, omniscient voice of the dungeon master from the very limited perspective of Matt, for example, just to name like a random NPC in my campaign that's an idiot. Yeah, just like a random guy. (laughs) No relation. (laughs) relation. (laughs) Well, so a good, a video game that does this really well, in my opinion, is Mm -hmm. uh, in the Elder Scrolls franchise, so it's not just one video game. Basically, all the lore is given either through, like, ex- the experiential content of the individual quest. So, like, oh, maybe you actually meet some kind mm-hmm. of being or whatever who attacks you or like, yeah. whatever. Or through testimony, whether that's an individual or, like, documents you find. But the it's not, like, word of God. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, here's what a scholar said. Here's the scholar's book, which is, like, you know, 10 pages because it's a video game. Here's the scholar's book on this lore thing. But the idea is it needn't be like a literal representation of the correct thing. It's it's like an actual book. It's like someone's interpretation. Yeah. The problem with this, though, is for the exact same reason that you just said, if you go right now and look up Elder Scrolls lore on YouTube, people will take all this stuff and then treat it as though here is the true canonical lore of the mm-hmm. Elder Scrolls franchise. And, you know, it's got all this weird stuff going on, and maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But the problem is... I think there's something really interesting in the fact that it's being given to you in this unreliable way where it needn't mm-hmm. be accurate and yeah. the individual texts need to agree with each other. But people like to shave off ambiguity, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, and people, you know, I think there's some people look at this as like, oh, this is a fun puzzle to take the disparate yeah, things yeah, yeah. that are yeah. like contradictory and figure out what the kernel of truth is. And people, people love to do this with like the Bible. That they're like, the Jesus seminar comes together and they're like, well, out of the four gospels plus this other gospel of Thomas that's really just sayings, what did Jesus actually say? What did the real Jesus say? They like cast votes and it's like, this this one got a lot of votes. (laughs) This one was hot with our boys. And it's, I mean, it's an interesting exercise and I think is is fascinating, even though I'm not like particularly concerned with the real quote unquote Jesus actually said. But... Whereas there's another perspective that, you know, the the way that the Bible was mostly written, and it's a perspective in, uh, you know, a lot of like Jewish authors of the time periods in which the Bible was written, is that, well, just because something's contradictory doesn't mean that it's not true or valuable or valid or doesn't get to be included. I, as a human and the author, don't get to decide which of these to include. I have to put both down, even though... They are mutually exclusive. I love that. Um, <laughs> I can't get into my own philosophical views here, but I am a huge fan of surreal, like contradictory <laughs> uh, stuff yeah. that's left undecided. That is where we're not trying mm-hmm. to shave off <clears throat> one or two or three things to find the true yeah. essence. Rather, we're just going to leave this contradictory mass there. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Yeah. And I like, you know, I like the. I think that sometimes as when we're playing a game, there's a bit of pressure to not do that yeah, yeah, yeah. more so I think than in like in the world in general. And I think part of that is because when you, 
you know, when you have a game, you and you it comes out of like war gaming, so you want everything to be fair, you want the calculations to be fair, you have like certain rules that you have to abide by, right? The the game is is structured, it's not free flowing, and so that favors a certain kind of like, oh, you have to establish this is what these monsters are, this is what this monster does, this is what this god is like, this is what you know, this is the actual creation story, for example. That like as the dungeon master, in theory, you would know all that because yeah. it's your world. You know how it was well how it was so created. Th- I mean maybe this is a challenge to the listener. <laughs> Ooh, you know a challenge. A Christmas challenge. A Christmas challenge for our listeners. We think of our, our settings as things that we construct. So like there's me, the creator, and there's the created thing. Like this is very mm-hmm. religious in a way. It's like yes. there's the, the source and then the thing that mm-hmm. emanates out of the source. Yes. And hypothetically, if the thing that's falling from the source really is sourced in that way, it should mm-hmm. be that basically all its important contours, and maybe all of its contours, full stop, can be explained in terms of the intentions of the source. It's yeah. like, I'm the author, every aspect of this novel is explained by me, and my, my mm-hmm. writing choices or whatever. But another way to think about creativity is to think about the work as, yeah, you helped to bring it into being in some sense, but it's it can stand independently of you. And this is difficult mm-hmm. with the way that, you know, running a game works, but, but yeah. it's just something to think about. You mm-hmm. don't really have to be responsive to absolutely every question mm-hmm. because the work doesn't have to be thought of as the mm-hmm. creation of you, the creador. It's just yeah. another being that you helped, you helped bring into being, but it's not you. Right. Mm-hmm. So I I I am really interested in what you're saying, yeah. and we're going to dive a lot more into this when we finally do our follow up on artificial intelligence. Thank God, because the relationship between creator and Creation. like God, sub creator, mm-hmm. which is like humans, which we can't create out of nothingness. We have to create out of matter, out of something that exists, and then. To what extent is artificial intelligence like a sub-sub creator or another maker? And, you know, when you create a world that is living, I don't think of it necessarily as like a thing that takes on a life of its own and begins to grow. But I do think of it as something that you cultivate with the players Uh that like they add lore. And one of my players has come into this, the new campaign that we, I I say new, we started like six months ago that. He's like, I'm this is the one you a run forgotten to? elf. And yeah, the one I run. Um, he's like, I'm a forgotten elf. And the forgotten elves are actually plants that oh. are like, like this forgotten race of elves that has this connection to ancient tragedy, some ancient tragedy cataclysm that may be rearing its head again. And I'm investigating that. And I'm like, what? Like forgotten elves who are plants? Who plants have, is like, in and, like, like this uh, ancient cataclysm none of this is part of my world or part of my lore but i appreciate the the level of investment that my players have that not only do they want to like play around in the sandbox they want to like help build the sandbox and help build the world It requires a really high degree of maturity to let go of the thing that you could think of as purely your creation Mm -hmm. oh it really does and allow it to be molded and shaped by others. I am quite mature. Thank you for noticing. Joe, you're so smart. <laughs> I mean, it's like I it's am. like improv. It's really hard when you have this idea that you wanted mm-hmm. to execute or whatever yeah. to like and you're yes like, this and is the right? best idea. Yeah, 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 to do yes to allow other people to say, "Here's this thing that you didn't even mm-hmm. think about." You have to if you're good at improv, then you're going to Unless it's like atrocious, you know, this is like requires a certain degree of judgment, but whatever. You're going, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to let go and allow the scene to evolve by itself, i.e. through the collaboration of all these people, rather than just being like, no, um, this was my idea. I'm going to mold it the way I wanted. And you're along for the ride, but really you're like an inessential part or whatever. So on that note, I think this is, this has been a a much longer episode than anticipated. 20 minutes in and out. 20 minutes in and out that's my that's my life motto that's the the joe russ guarantee 20 minutes of jackhammering <laughs> yep 100 so 
thanks for listening and Merry Christmas, everybody. Hey, Merry Christmas to all our beloved listeners. Yes. And yeah. Jingle bells, jingle bells. Wait, wait. Oh, we've done favorite Christmas movies before, of course, right? We did favorite Christmas movies and favorite Christmas songs. What about, what do you eat for Christmas dinner? (laughs) Ham or turkey? Neither. What? 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 Yeah, so, so... It's twofold. It's by it's tri- it's bi- bipartite. So, are you talking about Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? Christmas Day. Okay, so on Christmas Day, it it's kind of up in the air because Christmas Day was never a big deal for my family because mm-hmm. the Christmas holidays that we've inherited are Scandinavian. So on <laughs> interesting on, take. Well, here, so the Scandinavian. Oh, I see. It's what on you Christmas mean. I see Eve. What you mean. It's on Christmas Eve. Yeah. So on Christmas Day, maybe we'll have like roast beef or something. I like that. It's Anglo. You know, it's great. Like a nice roast beast. Our big Christmas dinner that we would do was on Christmas Eve, and that you will not be pleased, but to hear this, because <laughs> it's not a it's not a delectable delight. You know, we would have every year lutefisk. What's Ludafisk. that? Is that a fish? It's like a gelatinous fish. Oh, interesting. It's like a traditional Scandinavian thing. Hmm. Um, wow. But I, I think this is not uncommon for Christmas to have fish, because like I know in Italy they do the Feast of the Seven Fishes, right? I guess. Well, it's okay, so it makes sense if you think about it, because like loaves and fishes, right? Like Jesus, Jesus yeah. some kind of fish man, whatever. Um, so on Christmas Eve, we would do lutefisk on Christmas day, maybe like roast beef or something. It wasn't as important. Mm -hmm. So we would just do some normal thing. Um, what about you, Joe? Oh, Christmas ham all the way. Christmas ham. There it is. I find Turkey to be kind of dry. I only like to have these things once a year. So like I have ham on Easter. I have Turkey on Thanksgiving and then I have roast beef on Christmas day. Mm -hmm. I don't like to do repeats yeah that's my Good that's point. my method love it yeah. love it okay. much love to our listeners leave us a comment on on wherever about your favorite dis- twitter foods. send us a tweet about your favorite christmas foods <laughs> just comments on our tweet aax yes a- <laughs> gosh <laughs> you have aax if only we hadn't call, cultivated our massive, our massive fan 50 base. followers yeah. on hey, X. You know what? On X, I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And now, you know.